Howdy, howdy, folks. I am Father Fred Gatched, and you are tuned into the Double-Edged Sword program here on the Divine Mercy family of Catholic radio stations, KMDG 105.7 Hayes, KJDM 101.7 Lindsberg Salina, KRTT 88.1 Great Bend, and where it all began, KVDM 88.1 Hayes. And on the Double-Edged Sword program, we are cutting to the heart of a deceptive culture. And today, I want to talk about corruption and authority. Those are two words that will probably perk up a lot of people's ears um, because it seems like everything seems like it's corrupt these days. And whenever we talk about authority, especially maybe corruptions within authority, then um, again, that gets everybody's you know, righteous dander all up and so on. But I think what we want to do is as we talk about these things, we'll sort of bring to bear upon it um, the wisdom of the church and the wisdom of the scriptures. And then hopefully, you know, we'll kind of walk away with this with a little bit more of a Oh, a more reasoned and a, and a more sane approach um, to understanding how, you know, a person of faith is supposed to deal with this stuff. And I think first what I want to talk about in the first part of the program is we'll talk about authority. And the second part of the program, we'll talk about corruption. And so in this first part of the program, when we're talking about authority, you know, that's one of the words that um, really kind of leaves a, a bad feeling in people, a bad taste in people's mouth, I guess, um, ever since the glorious 1960s. And then um, the reason for that is, you know, kind of this adolescent temper tantrum that we had during the 60s that people called the free speech movement or the free love movement or whatever it was it called. You know, I mean, those of us that have lived through it, you know, if you were old enough to know what was going on in, you know, probably probably from 68 to about 70. Two, that seems to be when the when the worst of the chaos and the mayhem was going on. Um, and if you're not, then you're just going to have to either trust me or do some do some um, research on your own to kind of see what was happening. But the bottom line was there's a there's a man named Shelby Steele. And I've always enjoyed reading his essays because he is an essayist. And um, probably, again, the word essay probably is a bad taste in a lot of our mouths because we remember when we were in grade school and junior high and the teacher comes to, we're going to write an essay today. And you kind of hear the collective moan in the classroom. But the essay, in my opinion, is kind of a, of a, of a neglected um, literary form, I guess we would call it that. Because on the one hand, you know, everybody knows what a book is. And then you've got maybe like the newspaper editorial of, you know, 500 to 800 words or something like that. And then, of course, the thing is, in our day and age, most people are not interested in reading books and they don't want to read newspaper editorials. All they want to look at is those 140 characters in a, in a Twitter feed or something like that. And then think that somehow or another that since they've read this, this tweet from someone that they now know something. Well, if you're one of those people, I hate to inform you that you're dead wrong. Um, in order to arrive at truth, you know, it takes a little bit more you know, work and research than that. And one of those is is the the writing form of the essay, which could be anywhere from, you know, five to 10, 20 pages long. And the nice thing about an essay is that, you know, the essayist has the opportunity to go into not as much detail as a book, but more detail than, you know, just a, a one page or a half a page editorial in the paper or something like that. And certainly a lot more detail than, you know, a lot of the the garbage that floats around parading around it, parading itself as information and God forbid even truth on social media. And so, again, this man named Shelby Steele wrote an essay some, some years ago, which I read. And then I'm going to reference another thing that I read in the second part of the program. And the thing I regret is not having saved both of these things. So I could have read from, from them to you directly. It's kind of a quote. But basically what, what Steele was saying in this article, that, um, in this essay that he had written, was he was talking about how for the history of mankind, and you go back all through recorded history, 
And it doesn't matter if it's the ancient Babylonians, if it's the, you know, the Greeks, the Romans, the Egyptians, you know, ain't, you know, the, the earlier civilizations in Europe, medieval Europe, you know, modern times, the Chinese, whatever it is. You go around the world and there's always been this tension between the older and the younger generation. There's also, you know, all the all the various cultures and civilizations require that the young people show deference and honor to the older people. And probably the reason why that commandment is there, in our case, in the Judeo-Christian um, tradition, it's the fourth commandment of honor your father and your mother. But whenever we look at those things, I think what, what the reason why that commandment's there is because there tends to be this natural proclivity among the younger people, once they get old enough to kind of know what's going on, you know, I mean, kind of once we leave those carefree years of childhood, you know, we kind of get into early adolescence, you know, maybe 13, 14 years old, and then, you know, getting into our late teens and 20s, and you kind of look around, and I think people have, over the years, when they kind of reach that area of that point in their life, they're going, you know, the world's kind of messed up. And I didn't do it because I wasn't around to mess it up. It's the older generation that messed it up. And the older generation would kind of politely nod and listen to this kind of stuff because they've been through it. And they would tell the younger folks, well, you know, you'll get your chance soon enough to be in charge and we'll see if you do any better. And that was I think that was kind of the way that, you know, people kind of dealt with this tension, you know, across many cultures and across many centuries. But Steele, and again, his last name is spelled S-T-E-E-L-E, so two E's in the middle and one E on the end, S-T-E-E-L-E, Shelby Steele, if you want to look up his stuff. He's a really good, good writer. He, says, he, he said in this, in this article that I read years ago, I think it even appeared in Newsweek, he was saying that, that in the United States in the 1960s, for the first time in the history of mankind, and this is really remarkable, that if you go back through all of these various histories, you know, you can read in, in Egyptian hieroglyphics, you can read in ancient Babylonian cuneiform tablets, you know, you can read in, in all these various, you know, kinds of recorded history, this tension and this disappointment that the younger generation had with the older generation, and the older generation patiently leading the younger generation kind of through the process and saying, well, again, you'll be in charge soon enough and, you know, we'll see how you do. But um, in the United States in the 1960s, for the first time in recorded history, the older generation told the younger generation, you know what, you're right, do it your way. And the chaos, the social chaos, and you know, the, the, the damage that has been done to our culture and our society from that decision of basically the baby boomers when they told the, you know, the, the younger generation and they said, look, you know, you're right. You know, we didn't know what we're doing. You do it your way. And so I mean, you look at the, the chaos that went on in the universities at those times. I mean, I was, when I was going to K-State back in the 80s, there was one of the teachers was telling us, she, you know, one of, one of the professors, she was saying, oh, yeah. She goes, you know, we would have meetings with the dean and stuff and, and we would complain that college was too hard. And they would say, well, you know, we'll put students on the curriculum committee now and students can help design the curriculum. Well, that's like putting the lunatics in charge of the asylum. I mean, you know, putting Jesse James in charge of security at the bank. I mean, well, what do you want to do that for? I mean, you know, the, the students, you know, we, we go to college to take advantage of the wisdom and the learning of the professors and then the people with Ph.D. behind their name. You know, I don't see where, where a student's going to be able to go in and tell one of these people that's been teaching calculus their whole life long how to teach a better calculus class. I mean, you just need to humbly go in and listen to what's being said and, and learn it. But again, Steele says, you know, for the first time in, in the history of, in the recorded history of, of mankind in the United States in the 19, late 1960s, 
the you know the the generation that was in charge of business and government and education and so on told the younger generation you know what you're right we should just do it your way and um this led to some of the most remarkable things i mean some of you might remember the great line that came out of the 1960s don't trust anyone over 30 Okay, when you look at just the banal stupidity of anyone who would make a statement like that, because it's like, well, okay, pal, um, you're 20 years old, you're 19 years old, um, you claim to be kind of the paragon of virtue and wisdom here, but in a scant, you know, 10 or 11 years, you're going to be 30 yourself. Then what do we say about you? Again, this is the stuff that just went on back in those days was just crazy. And so, again, the, the idea in our times of, of authority kind of leaving a bad taste in people's mouth is, I think, is a result of the insanity of the, of, of the social experimentation and the disasters of the results of the disastrous results of that experimentation that went on during the 60s. And so I think, you know, first of all, again, like in this first half of the program, we're talking about authority. We need to come to to a to a more of a of a, a better understanding of exactly what we mean by authority. And so I think what we'll do is we'll start and we're going to do some significant Bible reading here. So you have to kind of bear with me. And um, you can, of course, get your scriptures out and follow along if you want. And um, the, the first one, the first one I'm going to read from. And this is all through this through the Old and the New Testament. And the, and the, the message is pretty consistent. The first one comes from the Book of Wisdom, and this is from the from the book that Solomon, King Solomon wrote. And um, in the Book of Wisdom, in chapter 6, King Solomon writes, Listen, therefore, O kings, and understand. Learn, O judges, of the ends of the earth. Give your ear, you who rule over multitudes and boast of many nations. For your dominion was given to you from the Lord, and your sovereignty from the Most High. Okay, that's in verse 3. And that's kind of the nub, that's the core of, of Christian teaching, of Catholic teaching, on the nature of authority. And even Jesus himself believed this, and we'll look at this a little bit later. But the point, though, is, is that the idea of authority here on earth, and it doesn't make a difference what the kind of authority that is, whether it's the authority of a king or a president or a legislator or a policeman on the street, a judge on the bench, a priest in the parish, parents in the home, teacher in the classroom, coach in the team, scout leader, whatever it is, whatever authority is out there, the church teaches us that this authority is there because it is a participation in the divine authority of God himself. And again, St. Paul will make this very clear when we get to the New Testament stuff here in just a second. So again, you know, this appears in the Old Testament. I'm going to just read that one last piece again. You know, first in, in verses one and two, King Solomon is, you know, calling the attention to, you know, kings and judges and people that, that have multitudes under their power. And he says, for your dominion was given to you from the Lord and your sovereignty from the most high. And then Solomon goes on to say, he will search out your works and inquire into your plans because as servants of his kingdom, you did not rule rightly or keep the law or walk according to the purpose of God. He will come upon you terribly and swiftly because severe judgments falls on those in high places. And so there, there we, you know, we see King Solomon reminding that those who have been given great authority also will be called to great accountability. And Jesus says the same thing. Doesn't Jesus say to those much has been given, much will be expected? And so, again, this is totally consistent throughout the Old and the New Testament. So, again, the first thing that we see from King Solomon is when he reminds you know, the, the, the kings and so forth of his own day, when he says that the authority you have is not yours to play with and toy with as you see fit. It has been given to you. It's been entrusted to you by God. And, you know, to use the, the common word of, you know, term of our own times, you know, they are stewards of this authority. You know, they are to practice stewardship with this authority. 
And what that means is God entrusts to, again, those people that I just listed. I'm not going to list them all again, but you remember some of them. You know, a priest in the parish, uh, the president in the White House, you know, the king in the palace, you know, the, the judge on the bench. All these people have been entrusted with authority from God, and God expects them to use that for the good of the people that they serve. Later on, then, in the book of Sirach, here's where Sirach brings the same idea to bear on what he talks about what happens at home. And so he says in chapter 3 of the book of Sirach, Listen to me, your father, O children. Act accordingly that you may be kept in safety. For the Lord honors a father above his children, and he confirms a mother's right over her children. So right there, you know, it says in plain language, where does the mother and the father's authority in the home come from? It comes from God himself. And so, you know, by mothers and fathers using that authority in the home to govern their homes, you know, to to raise good children and things like that, that's how they, you know, practice their stewardship of authority. That's how they, you know, use that that authority that God gave them the way he wants them to, all right? And then um, Sirach goes on to say some other things that are kind of encouraging and edifying. Because in verse 2, he says that, you know, it's God who has put the mother and the father in charge of their children. But then in verse 3, he says, those who honor their father atone for sins, and those who respect their mother are like those who lay up treasure. Those who honor their father will have joy in their own children, and when they pray, they will be heard. And so, again, if you go through the rest of chapter 3 in the book of Sirach, you see that, um, that Sirach kind of continues on with what happened with, with Moses when he got the Ten Commandments from God. Because the fourth commandment is the only commandment that carries with it a blessing. Um, whenever, whenever God says, honor your father and your mother, that you may have a long life in the land that you are you know, preparing to, to take over. And so um, God promises that those who, who honor their father and mother will be somehow blessed by God. And then Sirach kind of brings that up as well. You know, Sirach says that, that whoever honors his father will atone for sins. I mean, this is, this is pretty big stuff. That if we're looking for a way to, you know, make up for our sins against God, we honor our mother, and honor our father. And then those who respect their mother like those who lay, lay up treasure. Well, lay up treasure where? Lay up treasure in heaven. And so, again, if we want to, you know, be preparing for, for help preparing for our place in heaven, you know, what do we do? Honor our parents. Why? Because God put them into those positions of authority. And so, you know, again, we see this very clearly in the, in the, Old, and the, New Te- in the Old Testament of this idea that, that, that whatever authority there is has been put there by God. And, you know, God expects those in authority to use it you know, in, in a goodly way. And he also expects those under that authority to, to, to respect it and obey it. Now, in a letter to the Romans, you know, St. Paul kind of takes this and really spells it out in very, very clear language. And this is Romans chapter 13, verses 1 through 7, okay? And here he's talking about the civil authorities. There, there's, there's other places where St. Paul talks about mother and father. But here he's talking about the civil authorities. And here's what he says in chapter 13. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those authorities exist have been instituted by God. So again, you can see St. Paul's running with the Old Testament tradition here that authority has been put in place by God. Therefore, whoever resists authority resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Do you wish to have no fear of authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive its approval. For it is God's servant for your good. But if you do what is wrong, you should be afraid, for authority does not bear the sword in vain. It is the servant of God to execute wrath on the wrongdoer. Therefore, one must be subject, not only because of wrath, but also because of conscience. For the same reason, you also pay taxes. Uh Uh-oh, here's St. Paul crossing that line between church and state. 
But here he says, for the same reason you pay taxes, for the authorities are God's servants busy with that very thing. Pay to all what is due to them, taxes to whom taxes is due, revenue to whom revenue is due, respect to whom respect is due, honor to whom honor is due. And so you can see there in Romans 13, what St. Paul is saying is, you know, in the best of situation, I said in the second part of the program, we're talking about corruption. But for now, let's assume that our civil authorities are doing what they're supposed to be doing. And if they're doing what God wants them to do, their job is to provide for a peaceful, orderly society so that we can go about our business. And what is our business? Working out our salvation, Philippians 2.12, right? You know, the business, you know, the, of, of our purpose here in life is to work out our salvation with fear and trembling, as St. Paul says in Philippians, and also, you know, that of our children and our families. And so, you know, it, it's kind of hard to be worried about our salvation if you have to worry about thieving marauders coming in the middle of the night and, you know, cracking your skull open and taking your stuff. And so, you know, we, that's why we have police and courts and, you know, laws and legislators and things like that is, you know, for all this stuff so we can have a peaceful, orderly society. And, of course, that doesn't come free. You know, policemen have to be paid. Soldiers have to be paid. You know, judges have to be paid and so on. And so all these various things require money. And so, therefore, you know, we're required to pay taxes. Now, again, you know, people will complain until the end of the world about how much tax we should pay. And that's a good debate. We should always be debating how our money is being spent and how much of it's being taken away from us. That's an ongoing thing. And I think that's a good and healthy thing. And I it really, I think anybody you know listening to my voice, no one is going to say we should just do away with taxes because we know that the roads have to be built, the soldiers have to be paid, you know, the, the sewage treatment plant has to run and so on, and none of that stuff's going to happen by itself. We all know we have to pay taxes. What we rightly argue about is how much tax we pay. That, that, that's a good argument. That's a good debate. That should be an ongoing thing. I got no trouble with that. But again, St. Paul recognizes in Romans 13, though, that in order for the, the, the government to do what God has instituted it to do, it needs revenue. And so that's why we have to do that. Now, in, um, in the first letter of Peter in chapter 2, St. Peter, in a much more brief form, kind of says what St. Paul just said in Romans 13. So in, in first letter of Peter, chapter 2, verse 13, St. Peter says, for the Lord's sake... Okay, so in other words, because of God. For the Lord's sake, accept the authority of every human institution, whether of the emperor as supreme or as governor sent by him to punish those who do wrong and to praise those who do what is right. For it is God's will that by doing right, you should silence the ignorance of the foolish. As servants of God, live as free people, yet not to use your freedom as a pretext for evil. Honor everyone, love the family of believers, fear God, honor the emperor, okay? And so you can see there where both Saints Peter and Paul are telling us that part of our, of our duty as Christians is to be good citizens. And one of the ways that we are good citizens is to respect and cooperate with the civil authorities because why should we cooperate with the civil authorities? Because they're saying that God has put those authorities there for our good. Now, the remarkable thing is even in the Gospel of St. John, this is after Jesus has been beat to within an inch of his life at the scourging of the pillar, and then they bring him, you know, they bring him back in front of Pilate. And um, this is in chapter 19. And um, I'll just read from a little bit there from the beginning of the chapter from 19 verse 1. And we'll go down to about verse 10. It says, Then Pilate took Jesus and had him flogged. And the soldiers wove a crown of thorns and put it on his head. And they dressed him in a purple robe. And they came up to him saying, Hail, King of the Jews, and striking him on the face. Pilate went out again and said to them, Look, I am bringing out to you to let you know that I find no case against him. 
So Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe, and Pilate said to them, Here is the man. When the chief priests and police saw him, they, they shouted, Crucify him, crucify him. Pilate said to them, Take him yourselves and crucify him. I find no case against him. The Jews answered him, We have a law, and according to that law, he ought to die because he has claimed to be the Son of God. Now here's where it gets sticky in verse 8. Now when Pilate heard this, he was more afraid than ever. He entered his, his headquarters again and asked Jesus, Where are you from? But Jesus gave him no answer. Pilate therefore said to him, do you refuse to speak to me? Do you not know that I have the power to release you and the power to crucify you? And Jesus answered, You would have no power over me unless it had been given to you from above. Therefore, the one who has handed me over to you is guilty of the greater sin. From then on, Pilate tried to release him, but the Jews cried out, If you release this man, you are no friend of the emperor. Everyone who claims to be a king sets himself against the emperor. All right. So, you know, Pilate, you can tell Pilate did not get the message from the book of, from the book of wisdom. You know, when wisdom tells, you know, the, we read at the beginning of the program, you know, tells the potentates of the world, you know, that if you misuse your authority, you know, you're going to answer to God for it. And, um, and so Pilate says, you know, do you refuse to speak to me? Do you not realize I have the power to release you and the power to crucify you? Now, notice what Jesus says here. You know, Jesus could say, look, pal, I am Lord God Almighty, and I am a half a you know, inch away from calling down the wrath of heaven to destroy this whole thing after the way you treated me and so on. You know, Jesus could have done that. He's God after all, right? But instead, Jesus teaches, you have no power over me unless it had been given to you from above. And so you can see that even while he's here on earth, the Lord God, King of the universe, recognizes the authority structures that he has set up. You know, Jesus is recognizing, well, you know, Pilate is the legitimate governor appointed by the legitimate emperor, and Pilate's job is to govern the area of Judea there and everything. But what Pilate's missing is, is that, you know, his, his power is not his own to be done with as he sees fit. You know, his power has been entrusted to him by God, and he's supposed to use that authority for, you know, for the, for the public good. And so, again, I think that, you know, be, uh, primarily because of the of the of the disastrous experimentation that went on during the, during the late 1960s, you know, the idea of authority, people think, oh, you know, don't trust anyone over 30 and anyone who's in authority. You know, just look at, look at our, our television, you know, programs and so on, and look at the way that, that authority is, is portrayed. You know, the police are always crooked. Fathers in the family, it's always the fathers, never the mothers. The fathers are always bumbling idiots. I mean, just, you know, watch any, any of these pathetic sitcoms that come up or watch any ad that comes on TV, okay? When you look at the ads that come on TV and they show a dad, you know, doing something, he always looks like a moron. And um, it's his wife who comes to his rescue or it's his kids that come to the rescue. It's the teenage kids that know what's going on because dad's an idiot, all right. Well, see, the, the, the people that, that came up with this don't trust anyone over 30 nonsense, you know, back in the 60s, they're the people that are 55, 60, 65 years old now that are sitting in the positions of authority in the universities, in Hollywood. You know, they're, they're the TV producers and, the, you know, the people that have the final say so over, the ad, over these ads and so on. And, you know, that poisonous way of thinking, that poisonous way of engaging the world, they've carried with them now. And so, again, anyone that's in authority, especially, you know, again, when you look at fatherhood, especially, um, you know, it's just, they're just, you know, kind of made to look like idiots. And there's one of these public service announcements that comes on the radio all the time about, um, you know, the, the veterans coming back home. 
And um, they got this little girl's voice that comes on and says, you know, you know, my mom used to be a tank commander and she's back in the United States now. And I'm so happy because I, I can't eat my dad's marshmallow macaroni anymore. OK, so, you know, what's the underlying message here? My mom is the tank commander. My mom is the one that's, you know, she's the you know brave warrior. She's the one that's competent. She knows what she's doing. And while she's away, my dad's an incompetent idiot, you know, because he makes us eat marshmallow macaroni. All right. And you can just sort of see how this way of thinking has just permeated almost every, you know, almost every aspect of, of, of entertainment, you know, media and so on. And, of course, then it gets into the minds of, of, the, of the young people. I mean, I just always kind of figure it's really kind of you know, what it would be like to be an eight or nine-year-old boy growing up in the culture that we have now. Because every time he turns around, he's being told, you know, the adult men in your life, especially your dad, is a complete moron, you know. And so the boy's going to think, well, I guess that's what I grew up to be as a moron as well. And again, a lot, all of this goes back to this um, misplaced mistrust of authority. Now, again, you know, does this mean that, that any time, you know, some kind of an authority figure gets up and says something, we just blindly bow and say, okay, well, he's in charge. I guess we got to do it. No, it doesn't. You know, we do have an obligation um, to be able to kind of, you know, make these, make these sorts of um, judgment calls and so on. And actually in the Catechism of the Catholic Church, and we're starting in, in paragraph 2234, because this is all under the, under the um, rubric of the Fourth Commandment, um, it says, God's fourth commandment also enjoins us to honor all who for the good have received authority in society from God. It clarifies the duties of those who exercise authority as well as those who benefit from it. And then it goes on to talk about the duties of the civil authorities. You know, that in, in, in 2235, it's, it talks about the idea of servant leadership. You know, that um, if anyone does have that authority from God, they must use that authority to serve other people. And that we have to, you know, that, that um, those who are in, in positions of authority have to make their decisions in keeping with the natural law. And then it also then it talks about um, that the exercise of authority has to um, be something that facilitates the exercise of freedom and responsibility for all people. And so, again, this idea of freedom and responsibility going hand in hand, those things are very important. And then the political authorities are obliged to respect the fundamental rights of the human person and the rights to the attached to citizenship should be granted according to the requirements of the common good. So these are things that we see in verses in paragraphs 2235 to 2237. Also, there's duties of citizens, which are outlined in 2238 to 2242, 2243. That um, as citizens, you know, we have obligations as well to to vote and to um, contribute to society, to um, you know, submit to the authorities if they're doing the right thing, and uh, other such things as you know, serving in the military and all these sorts of things for the common good. So again, you know, this idea of authority just kind of being bad, I think, has roots going back to the disastrous 1960s. But if we read, you know, what our church teaches us in the catechism and what God's telling us directly in the scriptures, we can see that it's, it's not that cut and dry, you know, that, um, that, you know, sure, there have been corrupt authorities in the past and people do bad things. But nonetheless, the authority itself, you know, has to be kept in, in, in esteem. I think that, you know, one of the ways we can kind of look at this is, when you go through and you see in, 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 in our society, it doesn't make a difference who it is. You know, you may have a particular judge or a particular priest or a particular mother or a particular coach or a particular, you know, police officer or whatever belongs in jail. But that doesn't mean, though, that, you know, the office of the presidency, you know, the judge's bench, the priesthood, motherhood, 
you know, the teaching profession, the coaching profession. All these things have to be held up in great esteem and great honor. Because if we don't, if we do, you know, if we follow along with the, with the, you know, the bad counsel that came from the 1960s, you know, question authority, don't trust anyone over 30 and things like that, that, you know, because, you know, somebody screwed up along the line that they're now for, you know, all politicians are bad, all presidents are bad, all clergy are bad, all police officers are bad. You know, that's not doing us any good. That doesn't help us out at all. Instead, I think that, you know, what we need to be doing is, you know, kind of taking a more in your scriptural background and say, no, these various things have been instituted by God and the offices have to be respected. An individual office holder may be bad news and, you know, again, might need to go to jail. But nonetheless, though, the office itself still must be respected and honored. So that's kind of the the end of what I'm going to talk about, about authority here um, in the first part of the program. In the second half after the break here, we'll talk a little bit about corruption and what that is and what that is not. So that pretty much does it for the first half of the program. We'll take a little break now and hear from the folks that sponsor our programming here. So everybody sit tight and we'll be right back. Hey gang, we are back, and I am Father Fred Gatchett, the Vicar General for the Diocese of Salina. I'm the Rector of Sacred Heart Cathedral in Salina, Kansas, and also part-time religion teacher at Sacred Heart High School, also here in Salina, where I teach sophomores Old and New Testament. And you are tuned into the Double-Edged Sword program here on the fine family of Divine Mercy Catholic radio stations, KMDG 105.7 Hayes, KJDM 101.7 Lindenburg Salina, KRTT 88.1 Great Bend, and KVDM 88.1 Hayes. And on the Double-Edged Sword program, we are cutting to the heart of a deceptive culture. We're talking about authority and corruption. In the first part of the program, we talked a little bit about authority, and we talked about what it was and what it was not, that basically, just to kind of summarize in just a few seconds here, that authority is instituted by God. You know, the authorities that exist here on earth, whether it's parents in the home, whether it's police on the street, whether it's the president in the White House, whether it's the king in the palace, you know, whatever it is, you know, that whatever authority is on earth, it's a participation in the authority that God himself wants for the orderly running of the world. And that um, we as citizens, as subjects, as children and parishioners and so on, are bound to obey that authority because of the fourth commandment, honor your father and mother. And again, in the Catechism of the Catholic Church, um, the Catechism expands on the fourth commandment a little bit in, um, here in paragraphs 20, starting in paragraph 2235, I think it is, is where the, where the Catechism starts talking about our duties as, as Christians then to, to obey these various authorities. So you can look that up in the Catechism at your own leisure. But the thing of it is, is of course, especially if you've just tuned in, um, you're going, no, wait a minute, you know, obey the authorities, aren't the authorities corrupt? Well, you know, let's talk about corruption now, because again, in the in the first part of the program, we I, I referred to a man named Shelby Steele, and an essay that he wrote about um, how our our American culture has kind of gotten the idea of th- of authority so messed up. But then there is another one, and again, this is one of these things. One of my regrets in life, I guess, I should keep a scrapbook or something, and whenever I come across these articles and essays and so forth, I should cut them out and save them, and that way I could you know quote it to you directly. But it was some years ago, I think it was in a magazine called Catholic World Report or Catholic Report World or something like that. I forgot what the magazine was called. But in it, 
there was a very, very good article written by a priest who used to be a Marine Corps chaplain. And you can imagine what it must be like being a, being a chaplain to the United States Marines. Um, that would take a certain kind of bird. And um, in the article, he was writing about corruption and what corruption is and what it is not. And again, this is written a long time ago. It's almost 20 years ago. And it was written kind of in the wake of the whole Rodney King beating. I'm supposing many of you, you know, are old enough to remember that, that evidently, you know, there, there, there was a man in Los Angeles who um, had crossed the police. And this is back in the days when, when video was just kind of coming out, when people had camcorders and stuff like that, you know, certainly in the days before the smartphone video, phone, video camera. But, you know, in those days when, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't back in the days when people just had those little Super 8 movie cameras that you could record about two minutes of film and then you had to change the film out and everything. This is in the days of, of magnetic videotape where you could record hours at a time. And this Rodney King guy had um, evidently, you know, done something to, you know, c- uh, attract the attention of the police. And by the time the person turned the video camera on, the police were beating the daylights out of him with billy clubs. Well, and of course, you know, this you know, makes for really salacious video for the news. And again, if you remember, if you were alive back in those days, you know, this is right about the time 24-hour news came on with CNN and everything. And they just played this video ad nauseum just over and over and over and over again. Everybody in the whole country saw Rodney King getting beat up. Well, of course, then it goes to court, you know, and you know, they, then, but the thing is, is when it got to court, then the rest of the story kind of came out. And the rest of the story was, was that Rodney King was high on some kind of drug and he had resisted all reasonable attempts by the police to say, look, pal, you know, you need to calm down and you need to come with us. And, and you know, they, they were the police were doing their jobs the way they were supposed to. And then then when he attacked them, then the police had the right to respond with force in kind. And that's about the time the video camera got rolling. And so this whole thing, you know, precipitated a big investigation into the Los Angeles Police Department and of corruption in the Los Angeles Police Department. Okay, so there we have it. There's the corruption and there's the authority, you know, with the police. Well, what, what, what this priest was writing about, and again, I wish I could remember his name and I wish I could remember the name of the article. But what he was writing about in, the, in, the, in his article about corruption is he said, you know, he goes, I have no doubt. And, and again, let's just, you know, stop here and just use your imagination for a little bit and think about where you have seen corruption. You know, we see corruption in politics. We see corruption in the church. We see corruption in education. We see corruption in business. We see corruption, you know, in the media and so on. Well, you know, is this to say that every politician is corrupt? Is this to say that every reporter, every journalist is corrupt? Is this to say that every banker and every businessman is corrupt? Is this to say that every priest or bishop or, you know, Protestant pastor or whatever is corrupt? No. And again, what, what this priest was saying in, in his article, and he made a very, very clear distinction, and this is really worth thinking about, because he, he was talking about the Los Angeles Police Department. He says, I have no doubt that 99% of the LAPD officers get up every morning, put their uniform on, get in their car, and go out, and they, they get out there and do their job and try to do their job as the best of their ability, all right? And, um, and I think you could say that about just about everybody else. You know, I believe that, you know, every congressman gets up in the morning, you know, goes to Topeka, goes to Washington, D.C., and they're trying to do their job as best they can. You know, I believe that every, you know, um, whoever, every businessman gets up and goes to work and tries to do their job as best they can. You know, I believe that every member of the clergy gets up in the morning and goes out and does their job as best they can and so on. But the distinction that this priest made in his, his essay was, 
He said, I believe that every LAPD officer is going out and doing the best they can, but where the corruption is, is when any individual or any institution has lost the capacity to correct themselves from within. Okay, I'm going to say that again. I think this is a very, very useful distinction in understanding what corruption is and what corruption is not. Okay, and again, as this um, forgotten, I can't remember what his name is, but but it's pre-said, is that corruption is when an individual or an institution has lost the capacity to correct itself from within. All right, and so you know when when you when you look at the corruption in, in our media and in our in our day and age, I mean, let's face it, uh, you know, I don't think there's really a whole lot of people that are less believed and less respected anymore than reporters and journalists because most of what we read, you know, we just go, well, that's interesting. I wonder if it's true, and especially all us talk about fake news these days and so on. You know, we read these things, but then you find out that it was just some reporter making it up. And we go, well, you know, you know, the media is corrupt. Well, I think the media is corrupt because the media has lost the ability to correct itself from within. And this is very, very dangerous in our culture because the media is protected by the First Amendment as the media should be. Because, you know, we, we depend on, you know, reporters and journalists and so on to keep everybody else honest. And that's why they have a they have an entire amendment of the Constitution directed just at them, you know, that Congress shall make no law abridging the freedom of speech and freedom of the press. I mean, these things are very important if we're going to have a free culture. But when the whole media is infested with people with an agenda and they don't really want to report on the truth, they just want to, you know, kind of get something out with their particular slant on it, that's fine. It's called the editorial page if they want to do it. But when it's passed off as news, you know, we can see where, again, and, you know, you know, opinion polls are showing this all the time, most people do not believe what they read and hear because they don't trust the people in the media. Why? Because the media is corrupt. Now, is Father Fred saying on Double-Edged Sword that every person in the media is a bad person? Nope, because if I would, I'd be shooting myself in the foot. I'm doing media right now, so am I corrupt? Well, we can talk about that in a second. Actually, we'll talk about individual corruption here in a second. But... Um, but what, what I'm saying is, is that the media as a, as a profession, they have lost the capacity, they've lost the ability to correct themselves from within, right? Now, um, any other, um, any, you know, for example, if a business goes corrupt, um, it's going to get corrected by a bunch of different ways. Number one, you know, if, if people look at what they're doing, you know, and they don't like it, they're going to quit buying their product. That's a huge correction. Or again, you know, some investigative reporter might come in and say, oh, you know, look what this, you know, this business or this, you know, this, this um, enterprise or whatever is doing. And then it gets all over 60 minutes or something like that. And then all of a sudden, you know, these people are, you know, out looking for a job. That's a huge corrective, you know. And, um, and so when you look at, at these various ways that we can, that things can be corrected, but when they can't correct themselves from within and have to be corrected from the outside, that's when things really get painful, all right? And it applies to individuals as well. You know, every one of us, I think, to some extent, I wouldn't say that all of us are corrupt, but all of us suffer from corruption, all right? And what do we mean by that? The same thing we mean when I'm talking about all those people I just mentioned, whether they're teachers or businessmen or clergy or police officers or congressmen or whoever, you know, I think most of us, for the most part, are good folks. You know, there's parts of us, you know, the most of our of our component parts, you know, our, our judgment, our morals and so on work pretty well. But we know that there's those parts of us that it's just like, well, you know, I wish I could change this and I'm trying to correct it from within, but I really can't or I don't want to. 
And when I get to the point where there's that part of the inside of me that cannot be corrected from within and it has to be corrected from without, then that component of me, you know, and again, it, it might be, you know, my honesty, my morality, my integrity, whatever, you know, those things, you know, when they, be, they can become corrupted in people that are otherwise, you know, doing pretty good. Again, just like, you know, just like we saw with, um, with all these other various professions that I've mentioned. And so, again, I think that it's, a, it's an important distinction to make. I mean, kind of going back to our – in the first part of the program when we talked about, about authority, you know, that authority has been established by God. You know, does authority get corrupted? Yes, it does. What do we mean by corruption? It means that it, there are parts or aspects of it that lose the ability to correct itself from within. And so if, if um, in the case of whatever it might be, again, whether it's, it's a, a congressman or a police officer, or a member of the clergy or a scout leader or whatever, you know, most of these folks just go about their business doing the best they can. You, know, you can't fault them for that. But sometimes, and, and also sometimes, you know, they mess up and they go, oh, I got to fix that. Well, that's good. You know, whenever we, you know, find a part of us, it's like, well, you know, I kind of botched that up or, you know, I didn't realize I was kind of getting so far off the beaten, you know, off the path of right and good here. I need to kind of get back on, you know, get things back in line. And then we correct ourselves. That's great stuff, you know, but that's not going to happen unless we take the necessary time for reflection and meditation and prayer, you know, so that the Holy Spirit can come inside us and set us right. Because if we shut that out, eventually the, the, the correction will come. But when the correction has to come from the outside, that's an indication that there is corruption, all right? And so, again, I think that these are important distinctions to make because in, in our time, it's easy to kind of get jaded and get kind of, oh, just have a sort of defeatist attitude that everything out there is corrupt and everything is bad. Well, I don't think it is. I think there's a lot of aspects of things that need to be corrected, and sometimes they lose the ability to be corrected from within, and so they are looking, you know, looking at corruption. But the thing of it is, whether we want to admit it or not, and this is where the whole thing from the 60s went wrong, you know, we need a good Congress, you know, we need to have good legislators that are formulating wise laws for the good of all of us that elected them. We need to have, you know, a White House and a presidency that is beyond reproach. No matter who's sitting in, in, in the White House, we have to have a good president who is, you know, a person of good, high, you know, morals and integrity and so on. You know, we need to have good clergy. You know, we need to have, you know, you know, priests and pastors and rabbis and so on, you know, that, you know, know their scriptures and can, can explain them to the folks, but also are modeling that good behavior. We need to have competent teachers, you know, and we need to have good scout leaders and we need to have good coaches. And, you know, we, you know, we need religion. We need all these things um, to help us live, you know, ordered and happy and productive lives. And again, I think the problem ever since the 1960s is, is we see some hint of corruption and then we immediately just want to kind of write the whole thing off. You know, the presidency is bad. No, it's not. You know, the priesthood is bad. No, it's not. You know, um, fatherhood is bad. No, it's not. Or, you know, whatever, whatever the case might be, you know, whether it's, again, whether it's coaches or teachers or judges or, you know, whatever the case might be, you know, everybody wants to sit there and just write off wholesale you know, well, you know, I knew a corrupt person in, 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 in Occupation X, therefore Occupation X is now invalid. That's not true, okay? 
And um, the, the, there's, no, there's no backing for that in Scripture and the teachings of the church. And I think there's no backing for it in common sense. I mean, I think all of us you know, know that we would be much more edified and much happier if you know, these various institutions and so forth that we look to for guidance and the, that we look to for leadership and so on are doing so with, with integrity and with morals and, and you know, just you know, being you know, kind of upright about it. And so, I, again, I think, you know, kind of looking back on, on our reflection on, on authority and then on, on corruption and, you know, the proper understanding of authority and what corruption is and what corruption is not, hopefully, you know, this kind of gives us a, a better framework for, you know, making better, you know, wiser judgments and decisions as to, you know, what's good and what's not. Because, again, you know, if, if we're going to sit there and, and write off, you know, as our culture has, write off fatherhood. You know that's one of the things I think that's really been the cause of a lot of the, of the of the chaos and the and the destruction that we see is that um, you know the family the nuclear family, you know being destroyed by you know all these various forces that are out there, and one then the, the the main thing they take aim at is the role of the father. You know when you look back in the in the late fifties and early sixties, you know just look at the TV shows. You know, look at Lucas McCain and the Rifleman. You know, look at the, you know, Father Knows Best. You know, look at, um, you know, Ward Cleaver and Leave it to Beaver and so on. You know, in all those old shows from back in those days, you know, the fathers were strong, moral, upright men. And the thing of it is, when you, when you look at those shows back in those days, you look at Bonanza, you know, you look at the, the, the father figure on, on Bonanza, on, um, you know, Mr. Cartwright. I forgot his first name, but um, Ben, Ben Cartwright. When you look at these guys, you know, you look at people watching episodes of Bonanza or Gunsmoke with Matt Dillon and things like that with these, you know, strong, moral, upright men. Do you think back in those days when people watched those shows, they were going, man, this sure is a preachy show. I don't know about this. You know, these guys have an axe to grind, you know. I don't think it was that way at all. I think people looked at that and they saw that because that's what they expected to watch. You know, then the people that made the shows knew we need to show, you know, men being men. We need to show fathers being wise and, and, and you know, attentive to their spouses and, you know, looking after their children and things like that. And, and because, and, and again, I don't think people watching those shows thought that this was preachy. They thought this is the way things are supposed to be. And so now, you know, you look at the, at the main fathers that there are on TV now, you know, whether you know it or not. The most well-known TV father for the past 25 years has been Homer Simpson, you know, from the Simpson TV show. You know, the Simpsons is kind of a it's a clever show. It's kind of entertaining. It's been around for a long time. But, you know, Homer Simpson, you know, he, you know, he's a beer drinking, bumbling idiot. And um, and he's you know, he is the you know, the father. I mean, you, you compare Homer Simpson to Ward Cleaver. Compare Homer Simpson to, you know, to Ben Cartwright from Bonanza. Compare Homer Simpson to Lucas McCain from The Rifleman, you know. I mean, there's just no comparison. And the other one is Peter Griffin from Family Guy. Again, you know, the guy's just a complete idiot. And, you know, but these are the, are the, are the figures that are being portrayed as fathers, as, you know, people who should be in authority and who should be, you know, kind of above, above reproach. Instead, they're, they're portrayed as incompetent authority and basically being corrupt. And so, again, you know, people might think, well, you know, we're making some kind of a statement here. Well, you might be, but is it really benefiting? Is the, is the end result of it something that's good? And I think most of us would probably come, rightly come to the conclusion that it's not good, that it's a wreck. It's, it's bad news. And so, again, I think, you know, looking back on what we've covered on how the scriptures are very clear that, you know, God has put these authorities in place for our good so that we can lead peaceful lives. That's what St. Paul says. And so, um, and, you know, so we, we need these things. 
And rather than writing all of them off wholesale because there is a president we don't like or a congressman we don't like or a Supreme Court that we don't like or whatever, and so then we just want to say, well, it's all bad. Just get rid of all of it. You know, we're really cutting our nose off in spite of our face. You know, instead, we should be praying and working for the reform of these things and get them back to where they should be. And again, that would that would go for the same thing for everything else. If we're if we're you know upset about the way business is going, the way church is going, the way education is going or whatever, you know, the the 60s says, well, you know, don't trust anyone over 30, question authority and just, you know, you know, trash can the whole you know thing wholesale is being bad. That's not true. And again, if that's what we want to do, we're you know, we're not doing ourselves any favor. Instead, I think the most important thing is that we look to the Holy Spirit for guidance and that we, you know, we try to you know, bring things back into some semblance of order and goodness the way God wants it to be. Because, again, we need these things. You know, we need sound families with good mothers and good fathers. We need good government. We need you know, religion that has integrity to it. And rather than, you know, again, throwing up our arms in despair and saying, well, everything's just hopeless. Well, it's not. You know, things have been corrected in the past and they can be corrected in the here and the now as well. So, again, I'm hoping that um, after, you know, after, you know, kind of looking over this, um, you know, this reflection on, on authority and corruption and the proper understanding of authority and the proper understanding of what corruption is and what it is not, hopefully, you know, things make a little bit more sense. So that pretty much wraps it up for this installment of Double-Edged Sword. Thanks again for tuning in. Just want to remind you to visit our website at dv, that's V as in Victor, www.dvmercy.com. Um, you can also call the station at 785-621-4110. If you go to our Divine Mercy website, there are archived installments of Double-Edged Sword and also the One Body program, both of which are locally produced by our Catholic radio stations here in Divine Mercy Radio. And those are there for you to peruse and listen to at your leisure if you want to go pick up an older installment of one of those shows that you want to listen to again. Also, check out our Donate button because um, there is where we depend on people's donations to keep us on the air and to keep the message going out to these Catholic airwaves. And so again, we thank you for tuning in to this installment of Double-Edged Sword here on Divine Mercy Radio, and we'll see you on the next time. Thanks for tuning in. Goodbye and God bless.